everybody. Welcome to the X Report. I'm Raven X, and alongside me, as always, is Biggie, aka Ethan Tate, aka somebody who I'm sure feels the same way about their team's performance in Week One. How you doing today, Ethan? Um, I'm good. You know, going to the Tigers game today. First game ever. First game ever. I'm excited. Hopefully, we don't lose. But yeah, it's a good day. That sounds fun. Get to watch them play uh, Mississippi State. Ah, I miss Memphis. I hope they pull out the upset as well. Speaking of University of Memphis, though, a player that we are going to talk about for our college football player spotlight hails from the University of Memphis, but we'll get to that in just one second. Of course, we're going to recap all the NFL Week 1 action. Um, per usual, give our takeaways players slash uh, rookies that we were impressed and disappointed by. Talk week two, as well as we're going to talk the NBA. And finally, the Clippers have a new arena in about four years, but it's still on the way. And of course, we're going to discuss if loyalty in sports is dead. But before we get to any of that, please be sure to check out the xreport.net. I repeat the xreport.net for exclusive sports content written by yours truly and fellow xreport writers. Read some of our lovely podcast and our YouTube channel entitled The X Report. So kicking things off, like I mentioned, our college football player spotlight is going to be on a Memphis Tiger, and this time it's going to be wide receiver Calvin Austin III. The speedy wideout often goes underrated with regards to the top wide receivers in the nation, but he put on an absolute show last week against Arkansas State, catching six passes for 239 yards and three touchdowns, which means soon scouts are going to be looking at him heavy. Ethan, I know that it's still pretty early in the season, but anybody, I think we've seen time and time again that NFL teams will never turn down speed. So with a player like Calvin Austin, what team do you think would be best to bring him in? Um, I think the best team to bring him in, I would say the this is difficult, but I would say the New England Patriots. And the reason I'm saying this is because, yes, I know that they have a shorter passing game, but as a Memphis fan, I've seen it. Like, case in point, the Arkansas State game that you alluded to. Kevin Austin took a regular slant and went 75 yards. He had the type of speed to where you could put him on a slant or a drag, and he can just outrun the entire defense. And I think that New England, they could always, especially with a younger quarterback in Mac Jones, if you add weapons around them, especially weapons that can do work without necessarily him having to put in the maximum amount of effort, because we all know that their offense is predicated on just putting people, putting the ball in playmakers' hands, and the playmakers kind of make the rest of the play happen, i.e. Julian Edelman, i.e. Gronk. So I think if you were to add him to the Patriots wideout core, I think they could be a good thing. I would say the Indianapolis Colts. I think that while we know that they have guys on the roster who have potential, such as um, Michael Pittman, who I like a lot. I mean, Paris Campbell, they're still waiting to come into his own. I mean, I think that they lack just a true speedster, somebody who can really break down a defense using their ability. And I think that Calvin Austin will be a really nice fit to that, especially because you really don't know how much longer you're going to have T.Y. Hilton. And it's clear that there's still some adjustments that need to be made in that passing game. So I would think that that would be a very solid pick. But all right, let's go ahead and run through week one. Here's what happened. Uh, we already talked about the Thursday night game, so we're just going to start on Sunday. Uh, the 
49ers held off the Detroit Lions 41-33. Seattle beats Indianapolis 28-16. Texans upset the Jags 37-21. Eagles destroy the Falcons 32-6. Panthers beat Jets 19-14. Chargers outlast Washington football team 20-16. Steelers upset the Bills 23-16. Bengals beat Vikings in the LSU Bowl in overtime 27-24. Cardinals shocked the Titans 38-13. 13. Dolphins beat Patriots 17-16. Broncos beat Giants 27-13. Uh, Green Bay Packers are dismantled by the New Orleans Saints 38-3. Uh, Chiefs in the uh, in Browns upset efforts 33-29. Rams beat Bears Sunday Night Football 34-14. And, and the Raiders defeated Baltimore in an overtime thriller 33 to 27. After last week, I went 8 and 7, while Ethan went 7 and 8. This was probably the most injury riddled first week of a season that I've seen in some time. And I can't put in every injury, but here are some of the most significant ones. Um, for the Lions, left tackle Taylor Decker is going on IR after having finger surgery. And cornerback Jeff Okuda is out for the season with a torn ACL. Cowboys lose wide receiver Michael Gallup for the next three to five weeks with a calf strain. 49ers lose both running back Raheem Mostert and Jason Ferret for the rest of the seasons with knee injuries. And Jets lose offense to tackle Makai Becton for several weeks with the dislocated kneecap and the Washington football team will be without Fitzmagic for at least eight weeks with a hip injury. So many injuries have really riddled the league, but let's just talk about the 49ers. They're a team that probably are the ones I mentioned that have the most expectations surrounding them. So with Mostert gone and Verrett gone, what do you really think that their team is going to look like? Sure, they brought in Drake Kirkpatrick and Josh Norman, but do you think they still need to make moves to hit on those positions? I think they do. Um, specifically, more so in the secondary. Like Their secondary wasn't good with Jason Verrett healthy. And now that he's out, they went from probably being average to being really bad. And he was a... He was an impact player. Like, he's nowhere near, in my opinion, like a top corner. But he's a guy that you can put on the field and he can make a couple plays. He can get you a couple interceptions. He can play some solid some solid coverage. Um, so I think they have to fortify that as far as the running back position. I think that isn't as big of a blow because, honestly, I hate to say it, but Raheem mostly gets hurt every year. He had a really good run a couple years ago. He he cashed out off of that run. But ever since then, he hasn't stayed healthy. And it's like, I know a couple 49ers fans, and they say, like, he's always going to get hurt. It's just a matter of when it's going to happen. So I think that they're used to um, replacing their production from him, and I feel like they can bounce back. They they also always have really good running backs, period. But their secondary is a definite issue that they need to address. Yeah, I would agree with that. I mean, with regards to Raheem Mostert, I mean, I when you mentioned that he had gotten hurt and I asked you, I was surprised that you actually picked him up just because he's such a liability with regards to his health. And, I mean, it's sad, like, how many death threats and, like, how much flack he's been catching on social media because you can't control 
when you are going to be healthier, when you're going to get hurt. But I do think that it's unfortunate mainly for him just because running backs have a short shelf life. Like teams don't have necessarily the patience with the running back that they do with the quarterback or maybe a linebacker, etc. They will move on from them quickly. So I think that unfortunately for his sake, this could be the thing that could potentially end his career. But with regards to Jason Barrett, yeah, I agree. I think that while in the grand scheme of things, he wouldn't be considered like a top guy. I would definitely say that he was their best um, cornerback. And so losing him is going to be tough. And especially with the people that they brought in, I mean, there's still work to be done. Potentially they could be looking for a trade, but it makes an already weak secondary even weaker. But all right, Ethan, give me your top three takeaways from this past week of games. Top three takeaways. I think number three that the NFC West is hands down the best division in all the football, top to bottom. Number two, I think that um, I think that for the people that down at the Saints, they are a legitimate team. I think I don't know. I'm not going to say Jameis is going to throw five touchdowns every game, but I think he's going to produce enough to help them um, and just make a playoff push. And number one. I think the lack of chemistry from certain teams throughout the, all, throughout the preseason it greatly affected their performance on the field week one, i.e. Titans, i.e. Ravens. I could definitely see that. Um, yeah, for my takeaways, you guys can just head over to zxreport.net. Per usual, I do I give my takeaways from every game, but instead of writing it out this year, I'm just doing like a recording. So be sure to check that out. Um, but yeah, I'm in agreement with you on a lot of that. But all right, before we go ahead and move on from week one, let's talk the players we were impressed by, disappointed by, and our rookie of the week. So starting with me in terms of who I was impressed by, at first I was going to limit it to one player, but honestly this whole unit surprised me. And I'm going to say the Cardinals defense. I mean, they held the Titans to 13 points, who even before last season it was very rare to do that. Neither A.J. Brown or Julio had over 50 yards, which is a surprise considering the cornerbacks in the um, Cardinals secondary. And most importantly, Chandler Jones was a man on a mission. It didn't matter if Taylor Lewan was on him, Kendall Lamb, either way. Chandler Jones was going to get home, and he was going to make an impact. So, overall, I was incredibly impressed by what the Cardinals did defensively. Uh, being completely honest, I was impressed by the whole Cardinals team. Like, I hate to say it because it came at the expense of my favorite team, but the way that they performed on both sides of the ball, if you, I would have never wanted to – I would have never wanted to take game thinking, okay, we were going to be thoroughly dominated. If anything, I thought it was going to be a shootout. And the fact that their defense held us to 13. And I think Kyler Murray might make that ascension to being a MVP-level talent based off his performance in week one. All right, so in terms of disappointment, there were a whole slew of people I could have put here. But I'm going to go with the reigning league MVP. I'm going to Aaron Rodgers. 15-28 pass and two interceptions like – I don't think I've ever seen Aaron Rodgers look more out of a game than this one. And not to say everything was solely his fault because his run game was practically non-existent. But normally, like, we're so used to seeing Aaron Rodgers just rock, rise above it and still ball out. And so just to see him have this game is such a weird thing. Um, For me, my disappointment, I'm going to say the Chicago Bears defense. Yes, 
with wide receivers and Matthew Stafford at quarterback. But historically, that even in recent years, that has been a really good unit. And for them to be dismantled the way that they were, I have to throw them under my disappointment. Fair enough. All right, and my rookie of the week, we got to take it to a Bayou Bengal uh, wide receiver Jamar Chase. In the words of Joe Burrow in the post-game press conference, I thought he dropped everything. Caught five of his seven targets for 101 yards. Touchdown, absolutely destroyed Chidobe Awuzie on the 50-yard touchdown. Looked like his hands were going to be just fine. Yeah, I'm going to guess with you with Jamar Chase. Um, me and you know that just right before the season started, I made a trade for Jamar Chase. And I was like, I'm just going to stash him because I think he might be a high upside pick. And if he continues to perform the way he's performing, he's definitely going to see some time on my fantasy roster. Yeah, absolutely. Especially because uh, on the team I had him on, um, I have I started Julio, Mike Evans, and Brandon Ayuk. So needless to say, I played myself, and I didn't yeah. even know it. But all right, so – on Thursday night, not only did we catch an amazing game, but we also got a big announcement. For the first time ever, there will be an in-season season of Hard Knocks, of course, the famed behind-the-scenes NFL show, and it's going to be covering the Indianapolis Colts. Apparently, the season's supposed to start in November, um, or at least when they're going to start airing the show, but it seems pretty interesting. Ethan, what storyline would you say is the biggest selling point for you? Um, obviously the Carson, I hate to go with the obvious, but I think the Carson Wentz, um, introducing him to the team, like, how we know that he didn't really have a great week one, but how is he going to look as the season progresses? Is he going to get familiar, get that, um, all familiarity with the offense under Frank Wright? And how is he going to look? Like, is he going to stay healthy? Also, I think just, like you said, they have some um, interesting development in the wide receiver room. Like, they have Michael Pittman, who has shown flashes to being at a potential wide receiver one. Then, on the other side of it, you have a aging wideout in T.Y. Hilton, who is on the latter end of his career. Uh, and you also have a lot of, you have some, you have a couple of good young cats that you can look at for personality-wise, like um, Jonathan Taylor. And at the fullest bullet. So I think they have some interesting storylines to look at. Yeah, I mean, Carson Wentz is the one I probably would go with as well. But I guess just to be different, I would probably just say on the defensive side of the ball, I'm excited to see the leadership of Darius Leonard, not just on the field, but see what he is like just behind the scenes. Like when you're not in game time, when you're not going full throttle, what is the maniac really like? That's something I'm interested in. Like you mentioned, just the different personalities that you really get to see. Um, that you don't really get that access to any other way. So I think that's going to be pretty cool. But all right, so another tough blow for the Dallas Cowboys, in addition to Michael Gallup being out for the past next few weeks, it was announced that offensive tackle Lyle Collins is being suspended for the next five games for violating the NFL's policy and program on substances abuse. So, Ethan, how big of a blow is it for the Cowboys to lose Lyle? I think it's... It's a pretty decent blow simply because this isn't the same Cowboys O-line from the past where you can basically just kind of like funk plug to 
somebody in and they can still be a dominant unit. A lot of these guys on their line are older. They aren't necessarily the all-pro level talents that they were in the past. So I think it's a pretty decent blow, especially given the fact that it, the way it's looking, they might be throwing the ball 50 times a game if they can't get the run game going. And so I think it's a big blow. I think it's a big blow, too, but I think they were kind of prepared for it, or at least they have, because I think – I want to say he missed all of last season. So I think that because they're used to not having him, it's going to be not as bad. But then again, I mean, they also didn't have Dak for most of the season. So not to say they didn't really care about Andy Dalton and their backup quarterbacks, but it was a lot less pressure on whoever the um, incoming right tackle was because it wasn't like they were protecting protecting Dak Prescott. So I think that right now it's going to be a bit more of a stressful situation just because it is Dak back there. But I do think that they should be able to adapt, even though I think that it's, of course, going to mean that Dak is going to take some more big hits. Uh, we mentioned the New Orleans Saints a bit ago. Well, they made some moves this week. First of all, it was announced shortly after beating the Green Bay Packers that they signed Marshawn Lattimore to a five-year, $97.6 million contract extension. And later on in the week, it was announced they brought back wide receiver Kenny Stills to um, their practice squad. So let's talk about Marshawn Lattimore making a cool $68.3 million guarantee. Overpaid, underpaid, or just right? Oh, I think it's just right. Um, I don't think, and I say I think it's just right from this pretense of he is one of the better cornerbacks in the in the NFL, but he is the best cornerback on on that Saints team in a secondary that has been. Not great recently. He's been like one of the only bright spots. And it's also, I think he falls under the line of the, he's way more valuable to the team that he's on and than the team that he might go to. So the team that he's on is going to, quote unquote, overpay. That's a really good point because like you mentioned, like in terms of like the top five corners, maybe even arguably top 10, Marshawn Lattimore's name may not be brought up in that discussion, but for the Saints, he's everything. You take Marshawn Lattimore out of that lineup and you see just how bad their secondary is. I mean, I just remember pre-2017, before he got drafted, just how bad that secondary was. But when he came in, he really helped to try and turn that corner and make their secondary one of the better units in the league. And sure, they don't have necessarily the best depth behind him. I do think that it was a good idea for them to bring him back, especially because we know records get broken every day in terms of uh, contracts. And so you would hate to see a, I mean, a cornerback not on his caliber get paid more, meaning you'd have to pay even more than what you gave him. So overall, I would agree with you with it being just right. But all right, so let's be honest. Very few coaches are known to hold their tongues. And there were a couple coaches who spoke out blatantly about some of their players. Starting off with the Tennessee Titans, following a personal foul called on Julio Jones on a pivotal third and one, Mike Rabel was not shy about it and said, that's absolutely nothing we coach or teach. So that will fall under the category of doing dumb shit that hurts the team. Right there in bold letters. So... Was it a good idea, in your opinion, for Mike Rabel to call out Julio? Uh, I'm not going to say. I think it was simply because there's a way to introduce Julio to the Titans' way 
the way they variable is. Like everyone knows that Mike Variable is one of the tougher coaches. And I think that Julio Jones has to get adjusted to that. Yes, he's been in the league forever, but he hasn't played for a guy like Mike Variable. And yes, a lot of people can say, like, why are you calling out a you know, a future Hall of Fame player? But that's also what you want. Like, you want your future Hall of Fame player to be the guy that takes the game called out. Because if you can't call out Julio, then who's to say the guy that's a second or third year player, they're going to be like, well, you didn't call out Julio, why are you calling out me? So it's kind of one of those things where it's like, you have to call out Julio so you can earn the respect of the locker room and let everyone in the locker room know, like, hey, this is unacceptable, whether you're a rookie or you're in year 10 plus and you're a future Hall of Fame player. Excuse me. Yeah, I agree with you because, I mean, let's be honest. I highly doubt that throughout Julio's career, not to my memory, any coach has ever called him out. And I think that because he was such a pivotal figure in Atlanta, he kind of was just above it. He didn't really have to deal with coaches' criticism because, I mean, he was their best offensive player for years. And so coming into the Titans, it's a whole new team. It's a whole new atmosphere. And most importantly, it's a whole new coach. And I think that for Vrabel to do that, I do think it does set the tone and lets him know, hey, you may have been able to just coast or do whatever in Atlanta, but this isn't Atlanta. This is a whole other team. We're trying to compete. And for you to be a part of it, you got to buy in. So I really don't have a problem with it. All right, let's take things out west. Kyle Shanahan also has some comments about his receiver in the terms of Brandon Ayuk, who last year had a very promising rookie year, but this past week uh, against the Lions only played 15 snaps and had no targets. Shanahan said this about Ayuk. He's been a little inconsistent because he's been in and out with his injury and stuff. If he wants to be out there every single play, he's got to be a lot better than the guy behind him. Do you feel like we should be worried about Brandon Ayuk or this is just going to be the kick in the butt he needs to step up his play? Um, I think it might be the kick in the butt because I think one of the things that we said historically is the best, the best ability is availability. And yes, when you're a guy that's being hurt often, it's really hard to um, provide provide production for your team and honestly I think he's a guy that's talented enough to show that he can make impact plays so I think it falls under the same thing of like hey you you have to call out some of these guys and if you don't then like they could make you lose the locker room uh, yeah, I would agree with you. I think that especially because he is so young and he has so much potential. I mean, last year we really saw him come out of his shell and really produce. But like you mentioned, I mean, if you can't stay healthy, you can't really do anything. And unfortunately, while I understand, you know, Kyle Shanahan is saying he has to be better than the guy behind him, let's be honest. Looking at the 49ers wide receiver room, you take Debo Samuel out of the equation, and it is on the bottom tier in the league. I mean, even with Debo Samuel, it's not necessarily top half. So I do think that Brandon Ayuk has the potential to become a true number one wide receiver, but he has to be able to stay healthy. And if they can do that, um, they will be fine. All right, let's go ahead and move on. So I know we mentioned 
uh, coaches calling out their players. Well, this time it is a rookie calling out his team. That's right. First round pick for the New York Giants, Kadarius Toney, is apparently displeased with his usage in the first two games of the season and, of course, took to the social media because that's what everybody does. He said, no use in having a sports car and not driving. I don't be mad. Shit just be lame to me. Do you think Kadarius Toney played himself by ver- by being so vocal about his displeasure? Most definitely. This is the NFL. This is in Florida. And, you know, especially, I hate to say it, but especially with a guy like Joe Judge who considers himself like a baby Bill Belichick, doing things of that nature is definitely not the right way to go about it. Like, if you were, if you were to go and talk to him about it in the locker room, sure. But to voice it on Twitter or whatever form of social media, like, this not going to get you anywhere with these coaches. Because a lot of these coaches are still, like, they're old school. And Joe Judge is shown, like, after games, he's made these guys, if they did bad, he made them run laps. Like, no coach in the NFL does this type of stuff no more. Maybe Bill Belichick does. Bill Belichick has the regard attached to his name to where it's like, it makes sense. So I think he definitely played himself. Especially considering they don't, even when they drafted him, they didn't totally need him. They just signed Kenny Galladay. They, Sterling Shepard has looked really good these past two weeks. Uh, past two weeks. I know Darius Slayton is getting clowned for his drop touchdown, but he has shown potential as well. So realistically, because there are other bodies in front of you, you can't expect just because you a first-round pick to immediately see the field. If every first-round pick immediately saw the field, it would be a whole bunch of bust in the league. And you mentioned, like, he picked the wrong coach to do it with. If he would have got a soft coach or maybe one that he had familiarity with in college, that'd be one thing. But Joe Judge clearly does not care if you are a rookie or a vet and so the fact that he did this I would not be surprised if we don't see Kadarius Tony for a minute and I mean it also kind of comes down to kind of what Kyle Shanahan said you got to be better than the person behind you sure you were the first round pick but are you outplaying the other guys on the roster if the answer to that is no you're not going to see the field so yeah no definitely played himself all right, one more piece before we play our game of believable or buffoonery. Uh, Calvin Johnson is back talking about the Detroit Lions because they still not cool. But he said that things will remain icy between him and his former team until they give him back his $1.6 million. Uh, he said he's still furious with the Lions over the way that they took back some of his signing bonus following his abrupt 2016 retirement. Do you think that Calvin Johnson is just being petty, or does he deserve his money from the Lions? No, he deserves his money. Calvin Johnson deserves everything he can get from that Lions organization because, like we've seen it, we've heard about it with Larry Fitzgerald, how, you know, these teams, they give their older, 10-year possible Hall of Fame players a chance to go out on a high note. And the Detroit Lions basically telling him, no, we're not going to do that. You, if you're going to play, you're going to play for the Detroit Lions. And I think he deserves all his money. I think he deserves everything that he wants from the Detroit Lions. Because in all honesty, Calvin Johnson probably would have been a champion if he would have got traded to a particular team. I'm kind of torn on it. Honestly, I think that 
even if they were to give him his money, I do think that it really just comes down to, like you mentioned, he's upset because he could have been a champion somewhere else. Had he gotten the opportunity to get traded like he wanted to, he would have had more career success. And that's saying a lot because he's still a Hall of Famer. But I think that even if they were to pay him however much money he wants, even if it was more than $1.6 million, he would just still be resentful because he probably felt like he wasted years of his career in Detroit. So I don't really think that that would be – I don't think that that would be the reason why stuff would become cool. I think that he would always have that resentment. But, I mean, I can still be resentful and take almost $2 million of somebody's money. I mean, I'd be cool with that too. But, yeah, I don't really think that that would be the biggest factor. But speaking of the NFC North – Aaron Rodgers, following last week's tough game against the Rams, I mean, not Rams, the Saints, he put it bluntly when he was um, asked about his thoughts of retiring. He said, I don't feel like I have anything left to prove on the field. Believable or buffoonery, Aaron Rodgers has nothing left to prove in the NFL. This buffoonery, I think Aaron Rodgers has to prove that he can win another championship. Like, Aaron Rodgers, at the current moment, is the most talented quarterback in the history of the NFL. Patrick Mahomes, if he continues to play at the pace that he's been playing, he will take up that mantle, I believe. But for the time being, if you were to ask me, out of all the quarterbacks in the NFL, who do I think is the most talented? I'm going to say Aaron Rodgers. But with that, in terms of how do you go down in history? People go look at who wins. Like Aaron Rodgers was great, but did he win? We talk about all the time in the NBA, Charles Barkley and Shaq, they argue about it because it's like, you know, Shaq, Charles Barkley will say something and then Shaq will throw the tidbit in. Like, you don't know what it's like to win. You don't know what it takes to win. And it's a whole argument. I think to further solidify his place, if he wins another championship, that's the only thing he has left to prove. I don't know because it's like while I think the thing about Aaron A Rod winning another championship is like would that propel him into further into the greatest quarterback of all time conversation? Because in terms of being the most talented, he's already up there, and. Right now, he has a feasible argument for being considered a top 10 all-time quarterback. I mean, if you ask me, compared to, like, the present-day quarterbacks, or at least within the last few years, the only quarterbacks I would put above him are Peyton Manning and Tom Brady. I would take him over Drew Brees. I would take him over Big Ben, Phillip Rivers, Eli Manning, etc. And for me, the question is, would one more ring put him over the likes of the guys that I just mentioned? And I would probably say no, just because... It's like, I think Aaron Rodgers is one of those guys who, I'm not, I'm not going to say he's above a ring, but there is no denying just how talented he is. There is no denying how great of a player he is. And I just think that if even if he were to win another ring, I don't think that further propels him in people's eyes as being seen as much greater than he already is. Yeah, it proves some doubters wrong. But I think that Aaron Rodgers has already created a resume and a legacy for himself that's going to stand the test of time. But speaking of the legacies building the test of time, we all know about the Dallas Cowboys of the 90s. Why? Because Cowboys fans never stopped talking about it. Well, a big reason for that is because of their big three of Troy Aikman, Michael Irvin, 
and Emmett Smith, who were nearly unstoppable. Well, Kendrick Perkins had things to say about that following last week's game. He said, no disrespect to Aikman, Emmett, and Irvin, but Mahomes, Kelsey, and Hill might be the most dynamic big three we've ever seen in football. Carry on. Believable or buffoonery, the Chiefs' big three is more dynamic than the Cowboys' big three. This is hard for me to say. I'm going to say buffoonery simply because I never saw the Cowboys big three. It's, I'm one of those people where it's really hard for me to try to speak on things that I never saw before. Like, I never saw a game. I never saw footage. I haven't even watched highlights of them because I don't like the Cowboys. So, I'm not going to say it's hard for me to say, but I will say buffoonery simply because I just know that that trio for the Cowboys was and is regarded as one of the best trios of all time. I'm also going to say buffoonery because, like, honestly, normally I don't like bringing rings into the conversation, but they got, what, three rings to show for it. And um, and nearly every time of that in the 90s when the uh, Cowboys were having their run, there were times when Troy Aikman – Michael Irvin and Emmitt Smith were regarded as the best players at their respective positions. And I'm not going to lie to you. Tyreek Hill is explosive. Tyreek Hill is great. But when has he been the undisputed best wide receiver in the league? He has a very strong argument for like top three, top five. But overall, the best wide receiver, I don't see that. For Travis Kelsey and Patrick Mahomes, you can definitely say, but I don't think so for Tra- I mean Tyreek Hill. So... The biggest distinction between the two, I would probably say, is that. But keeping things in the AFC West, we're going to talk the Denver Broncos, who seem pretty happy so far with the play of Teddy Bridgewater. In fact, Von Miller, after the Giants game, said, I haven't felt that in a while since 18 was here, man. Keep with that shit. So, believable or buffoonery, Teddy Bridgewater is the best quarterback the Broncos have had since Peyton Manning. Because, being honest, after Peyton Manning, how many other Broncos quarterbacks can you remember? I remember they had Brock Osweiler for a high second, and he was garbage. Then they moved on to Drew Locke, and Drew Locke has shown flashes, but he's just not consistent. Dang, you leaving out a Memphis legend, Paxton Lynch, 27, 26 overall pick? Wow. He was trashed. He was great in Memphis, but as far as the NFL goes, he was bad. Um, But, you know, I think the one thing that Teddy Bridgewater brings that all of those other quarterbacks don't is he brings consistency. Like, you know what you're going to get out of him. You're going to get a steady field general. He might not make the flashiest of plays on the field. He doesn't have the strongest arm, but he can make plays that can win you games. And I It's hard because I can remember quite a few of the quarterbacks that played in Denver. That's just because my football memory is better than my overall memory. But I think this also is a testament to how low the bar is in Denver for Teddy Bridgewater's one game to be the best thing that they've had at quarterback. So, yeah, and unfortunately, I'm going to have to agree. Like, I'm really trying to wrap my brain if there's, like, anybody, like, 
maybe Drew Locke has slight competition. It's like, I just don't want to say that after literally one game. That's the biggest thing. Like, But as of right now, I'm having a hard time really arguing that. I mean, Trevor Simeon was slightly competent for a time. Yeah, I guess I got to go Teddy. I'm, I'm, I'll say believable for right now. We'll see. We'll revisit this in a week and see if, you know, they're as happy as they are. All right, let's talk coaches. Urban Meyer, after it was announced that USC would be letting go of their head coach, it seemed that Urban Meyer's name would potentially be thrown into the fire. Players and members of the organization already feel like Urban Meyer's heart is not in it in terms of being the core, I mean, the head coach of the Jacksonville Jaguars. Urban Meyer addressed these thoughts and said, There's no chance. I'm here and committed to trying to build this Jaguars organization. Believable or buffoonery, Urban Meyer is truly committed to the rebuild in Jacksonville. Uh, buffoonery. I think that I think that he uh, fully understands now the difference between the in the NFL and college. And we all know that Urban Meyer has historically been a guy that he never truly means what he says. Like he um. He left Ohio State. No, he left Florida. And if I remember correctly, he said that he was done coaching. And then out of nowhere, he got a job at Ohio State. He said that and, when he left Ohio State. Yeah, he left Ohio State and said he was done coaching. And now look at him. He's the coach of the Jaguars. So I think he's one of those guys where it's like, it's always going to be buffoonery because it's like, can you really believe him? Yeah, I'm calling buffoonery on that, too, especially just because, I mean, he's not used to losing. And on the pro level, even his first stint with the, um, I want to say the Dolphins. No, not the Dolphins. When he was first in the NFL, he did not have too much success. And as someone who was so used to winning, particularly in the college level, who's to say that if a big job opened up in the college, I don't think he'd leave for USC just because they still have some work to do. But let's just say... You look up and Ryan Day, head coach of Ohio State, is like, you know, I'm going to take an NFL job. And Ohio State is an option. I could see him going back there. Maybe Dabo Sweeney is feeling froggy, wants to go to the NFL. I could see him jumping to Clemson. I feel like if the right situation came in and he wouldn't have to keep getting his butt whooped in the NFL, I think Urban Meyer would jump ship expeditiously. Speaking on the conversation of coaches, John Gruden had some really high praise for his tight end, Darren Waller, following Monday night's game where he said, he's the best player I've ever coached. Now, mind you, John Gruden has coached some Hall of Famers, some legends. Believable or buffoonery, John Gruden truly believes that Darren Waller is the best player. Uh, I'm calling it buffoonery. I think that he, like you said, he's coached Hall of Famers. I think that Darren Waller might probably be one of the greatest stories out of all the players he's coached in his career, and they might sway his decision. I think, I'm sorry. I'm sorry, keep going. No, I'm just going to say I don't think he's the best player. Yeah, I'm calling big cap on that too. I mean, for example, you have Charles Woodson. You are not going to tell me that Darren Waller is a better player to coach than – Charles Woodson. No. Darren Waller is a hell Yeah, and don't get me wrong. Darren Waller is a hell of a football player. But, I mean, I think that this was more so of like a morale boost of wanting to hype your guy up because he's playing for you right now. 
And who's to say that if he left, you would say something different? Now, don't get me wrong. He's easily the best player on the Raiders team. But the best you've ever coached, come on now, Rudin. You know that don't make sense. All right, last piece before we close out this bad boy and give our week two game picks. Um, we mentioned earlier Raheem Mostert out for the year, but it seems like there is a veteran just waiting to get that phone call. 49ers legend and seems to never age. Frank Gore talked about a potential reunion with San Francisco and said, if they call me, I'll be ready. Believable or buffoonery, the 49ers should look into signing Frank Gore. Buffoonery. Um, Frank Gore is a living legend. He is the, I think he's the, all-time leading rusher for the 49. He has to be yeah. the all-time, one of the all-time leading rushers in the NFL history. Yeah. But um, I think that if they were to look for someone to replace Raheem Mostert, they probably would look at someone younger because one of the things that they need is they need speed. That's what Raheem Mostert brought. He brought a speed element. He was one, he's one of the faster players in the NFL. And like Frank Gore, he's a guy that you, especially at his age, I love Frank Gore. I've always loved Frank Gore. But he's the type of guy that you can't get him the ball 15 to 20 times anymore. Like, he has to, you basically put him in in situational um, scenarios. It would be a great story, but I don't think it'll happen. I could see them doing it because they already got Trey Sermon and Elijah Mitchell, I want to say this is his name, two rookie running backs in the backfield right now. And for the last few years, San Francisco has really been a running back by committee. So I feel like having a veteran presence in a Frank Gore would make a lot of sense. And plus, you wouldn't have to give him those 15 to 20 carries that you mentioned. Just kind of have him be a player's coach, give him the opportunity to really hype up and coach up the young guys around him. And not to mention, like you said, it's a nostalgia piece. So, I don't know. I I could see them doing it, and plus it's not like they'd have to give him a whole bunch of money anyway, and because he already has the familiarity. So, I could see it. All right, let's talk week two. First things first, what were your takeaways from Thursday night's game between Washington and the Giants? Being honest, I know absolutely nothing about that game. Okay. Well, fun fact, the Giants lost that game like three different times. One was a drop touchdown by Darius Slayton that would have made a double-digit game. Instead, it was a field goal, which kept Washington in it. Uh, there was another rushing touchdown, like a 70-some yard touchdown by Daniel Jones, but he got called back because of a holding penalty. And then my personal favorite, they're on the miss. I mean, so Washington drove the ball downfield, got to the 48-yard line. Dustin Hopkins misses the kick. But – Giants got called for offsides, which gave um, Washington free five yards, make the kick, they win the game. So, my biggest takeaways were that, well, at least for Washington, I will say that I think that Taylor Heineke deserves a chance to start. Heineke had a pretty good game, honestly. Um, Let me pull up his stats really quick. He had um, 336 uh, passing yards, two touchdowns, had that bad interception, but, I mean, considering he was playing the Giants, they were able to override it. Like, he looked like he had a lot of chemistry, and it already seems like Ron Rivera isn't in a rush to sign someone else. So I would I would give the keys to the franchise to Taylor Heineke and see what he does with them. And then for the Giants, I just said they are the new kings of self-sabotage because that was a hot mess. And if Joe Judge was pissed off last week, I know he was heated this week. But, yeah, if you get a chance, like, I'm sure you'll see some memes about it because I've, I've seen 
quite a few. But all right, let's go ahead and make game picks. Starting off with the Denver Broncos versus the Jacksonville Jaguars. I got Broncos. I have Broncos. Buffalo Bills uh, versus the Miami Dolphins. I got Bills. I got Bills also. All right. going to be a tough game. I agree. All right. Uh, Cincinnati Bengals versus the Chicago Bears. I'm going Bengals. I'm going Bears. Cleveland Browns versus the Houston Texans. I got Browns. I got Browns. Philadelphia Eagles hosting the San Francisco 49ers. I'm putting the 49ers on upset alert. How they let the Rams come back on them. I mean, not Rams, the Lions come back on them was kind of embarrassing. So I got four Eagles pulling it out. More so not because I believe in Philly, but because I don't believe in San Francisco. I think I'm going to join you on that hype train. Because, yeah, you got the Lions, too, in my opinion, might be the second or third worst team in the NFL creep back up and get into that game. Yeah, it's it's ugly. Um, New Orleans Saints versus the Carolina Panthers. I'm on the Jameis train. I got Saints. Yeah, I got Saints. Uh, Los Angeles Rams versus the Indianapolis Colts. I got Rams. Rams. Pittsburgh Steelers versus the Las Vegas Raiders. This game could really go either way. But if the history of the Raiders tells you anything, they may play great one week and then fall apart the next. I'm going Steelers. I'm going Steelers. New England Patriots versus the New York Jets rookie versus rookie battle, but I got Patriots. I got Pats. All right, this will be an interesting one. Arizona Cardinals versus the Minnesota Vikings. While I think that this will be a bit of a shootout, I'm still going Cardinals. Yeah, I'm going Cards. Tampa Bay Buccaneers versus the Atlanta Falcons. This should be a blowout. I got Bucks. I got Bucks. All right, now this is an interesting one. Dallas Cowboys versus the Los Angeles Chargers. I've been battling with this, but I, I'm going to go Cowboys. I got Chargers. Uh, Tennessee Titans versus the Seattle Seahawks. This is another one that I was battling with, but I'm going to say Seattle. I got Seattle. Kansas City Chiefs versus the Baltimore Ravens. Hate to say it, but the Ravens are starting the year 0-2. I got Chiefs. Yeah, I got Chiefs. All right, and then Monday Night Football, the Green Bay Packers taking on the Detroit Lions. I got Packers. I got Packers. All right, the offensive player that I am looking forward to watching this week is Jameis Winston. Jameis, everybody loves you right now through five touchdowns week one, but you know how fickle the media is. You got to be able to have another good performance or they are going to be breathing down your neck again, bringing up the 30 and 30 season. And I don't want to see that for you, my boy. So I'm really watching Jameis and seeing how he works against Carolina. Uh, for me, the offensive player that I'm going to be looking at is I'm going to be looking at the whole entire Tennessee offense simply because – like I stated earlier in this show, they didn't play a down of preseason football together, and it showed. And I think that was a, a primary reason as to why we got demolished. So my eyes is on the whole entire offense. Hopefully, going up against a defense in Seattle that, in my opinion, isn't, isn't as formidable as the Cardinals. Because I think the Seahawks, they do have some good pieces. But I think overall, the Cardinals defense might be a tad bit better because they have really? playmakers. It, I think they, it is because they have playmakers at all three levels of the field. Like they have Chandler Jones and JJ Watt on the line. They have Isaiah Simmons who is making plays, and they have Buddha Baker in the secondary. 
I I don't know if I'd agree with that one. Because if you ask me to pick between Buddha and Jamal Adams, I'm going to take Jamal Adams, Bobby Wagner over Isaiah Simmons any day of the week. And then uh, then defensive line, yeah, I would definitely go Cardinals. But And that's the thing. But the thing is, with the Seahawks, they only have two impact players in two positions. The Cardinals have three and a possible. Because Isaiah Simmons could be the possible, but they have Chandler Jones and J.J. White, and they have Buda Baker. Um, I I I would have to say Seattle because I feel like overall they work better together. I mean, especially considering like last year the Cardinals defense was bad, and I'm just not gonna sit and ignore how bad their secondary has been. Like they played well last week, but we'll see how it goes. I would still say Seattle has a better defense, but I mean that could easily change over the next few weeks. Uh, but my defensive player is gonna be Khalil Mack. Um, I picked the Bengals to win the game, but honestly, if Khalil Mack can lead the charge and wreak havoc against this offensive line, it is going to make things so much easier for his uh, counterparts, especially because his secondary has been bad. They got roasted last week, and they have potential to get roasted this week too. That means that Khalil Mack is going to have to get home, put a lot of pressure on Joe Burrow to make things easier for his team. For me, my defensive player I'm going to be watching is the entire Baltimore Ravens defense. And the reason I'm saying this is because yes, you are expecting them to start the season 0-2, but if they're able to galvanize the troops and come together and play a good game of football, they could be 1-1. One one. I feel like they have the potential to beat the Chiefs, even, even though they're banged up, but it starts on the defensive side of the football. Yeah, that'd be nice. I mean, don't get me wrong. I don't want my team to go 0-2, but it's just easier to tell yourself they're going 0-2 than getting your heart, your head souped up. All right, uh, my rookie I'm watching is Saints cornerback Paulson Adebo. I mean, he was a guy who I was really looking forward to watching this season, particularly looking at the Saints' depth. And, I mean, he had a really solid first game, picked off Aaron Rodgers. How many rookies can say that they did that? And I'm excited to see how he grows um, this week. I know that Bradley Roby is going to be able to play, so his playing time might be a little bit limited. But I'm excited to see how he transitions going into week two. For me, the rookie I'm looking at is I'm, just, I'm still looking at rookie quarter, quarterbacks. I think this week two – a lot of the guys, they show great potential, but I think that they have some bumps along the road. I just want to see how they further progress. All right, and who I'm calling out? I'm calling out the Packers. I'm not necessarily a Packers fan, but I like watching Aaron Rodgers work, and he did not work last week, and it felt weird. We saw how bad they got beat by the Saints. I expect them to beat the Lions by even worse than that. Who I'm calling out, uh, let me see. Who I'm not calling out the Titans. Yeah, I'm, I'm mad at Baltimore right now. That's a obvious. I'm actually calling out the Ravens because, like, y'all should have never lost any game. I and I gotta do it because I'm not a Ravens fan necessarily, and it's weird because I never. I it's a it's a beef between Titans and Ravens fans, but I gotta call them out. Like, I need y'all to step up. I need y'all to get back to playing Ravens football. I hope so. Because, you know what? I I know that there was a lot of, of said about this game. And usually, like, I take Ravens losses really personal. But 
I don't take them as personally when it's a game that we deserve to lose. And we deserve to lose on Monday. We blew, what, a 14-10-0 lead. We are, oh, my gosh, Alejandro Villanueva got to go. I don't care where he goes, but him at right tackle was a freaking joke. Like, that was the thing that pissed me off the most. Like, defensively, all right, whatever. We blitz a lot. Plays are going to happen from time to time. Lamar, okay, whatever. Don't get me wrong, the fumbles pissed me off. But Alejandro, man, he has to go. I'm not going on a rabbit hole. But, yeah, no, I hope you're right. Who knows? Maybe you calling them out will get through their heads better than me because all this flack Lamar gets is pretty unfair, especially because he actually had a really solid passing game this past week. But nobody wants to talk about that. But, all right, let's go ahead and talk about the NBA. Starting with John Wall. His name has kind of been bounced around a bit this offseason with regards to will he – or will, won't he be traded? Well, it seems like a trade is upcoming. John Wall and the Rockets have met and have mutually agreed to find a new team for him. So, John Wall is about to be available. What team should make the move to try to get him? None. Being, <laughs> I hate to say it that way, but for a player with that big of a contract, there's often injured and has shown tendencies to be a hindrance in the locker room, I think no team should trade for him. I think I hate to say it because at one point in time John Wall was one of my all one of my favorite players in the in NBA. Especially right after he got out of Kentucky. But I definitely think that he's at a point in his career where obviously I do think he could help some teams, but I just I me personally, like if I was a GM, I wouldn't even want to put up with that house. I'm actually happy you mentioned his contract because I think I saw this. I'm going to double check to make sure. But if I'm not mistaken, he's supposed to be making like 90-something mil over the next two years. So either 90 or 70. I'm, I'm looking it up now just to make sure I get it right. Either way, the whole time I was like, oh, you're out of your freaking mind. Yeah, hold on. Over the next two years, John Wall is slated to make Jeez, Christ. Yeah, nine, geez, 90 mil. There is no way in hell. <laughs> and I like John Wall, too. But unless that figure is going to come down to several, several millions of dollars less, I would have a hard time doing it Um, in terms of I think someone will. But we would have to really try to orchestrate some sort of discount or somebody taking on part of this contract. Because looking back, this was a really this was a wild contract that he got from Washington. Because even when he signed it, he had still like been often injured. So, and he made forty one mil last year. Screw the Brock Lesnar contract. I want the John Wall contract because clearly he's doing something right. Um, But if I had to pick a team, I think the Clippers would be a nice fit. It would provide some depth for them at guard. I think that because he would be surrounded by other veterans, he might feel more comfortable because, I mean, the Rockets were practically a team full of babies last year. So I think that being around those veterans, not being asked to do much, could potentially see the best out of him because they ask a lot less of him. But, no, he would definitely have to make 
significantly less money. Speaking of LA, let's talk some LA, an LA legend and one in the making. Kareem Abdul-Jabbar was asked about LeBron potentially taking his spot at the number one all-time scoring list and said, we all win when a record is broken. And if LeBron breaks mine, I will be right there to cheer him on. As of right now, Kareem still holds down the top spot with 38,387 points, while LeBron is in third place, 35,367 points. Carl uh, Malone is between the two, 36,928. So, Ethan, I believe that Kareem is a very honorable guy. I believe that he wants to see it happen, but do you think that it will happen in the next two years that LeBron breaks the all-time scoring record? Yes, and the reason I say this is because I remember reading that article and talking about the same exact thing, <clears throat> and it said that Le- all LeBron has to do is, I think, average 18 points for the next two seasons, and he can break Kareem's record. And I think that given the fact that LeBron, yes, he's in his later years, but he's still playing supremely high-level basketball like last season, the only thing I think can hinder him is the fact that he's been injured um, more frequently these past couple of years. But if he were able to amass two, got two seasons where he played almost every game, I think he could do it. Yeah, I can think. I think he would be able to do it as well. I mean, I think that it'll be a great benchmark to make. Um, especially because, I mean, he's already done so much for his career. So, yeah, I could definitely see him doing it, and I think it would be a cool moment, especially having a player that most fans have been able to watch, being able to see that record be broken in real time. So I think it would be dope. Uh, Let's go ahead and move on thinking about things that got broken. Well, the Denver Broncos – I mean, not Broncos. Denver Nuggets broke the bank for Aaron Gordon, signing him to a four-year $92 million extension. While I'm sure he's happy making a whole bunch of money, Nick Wright, um, famed Fox Sports reporter, said four years, 92 mil for a career 12 point per game, 12 points per game guy. Do you think that Aaron Gordon got overpaid, or is this just the state of the NBA? I think he got overpaid because how many when he was with the Magic? How many times have we uh, we looked at him? and was like, hey, Aaron Gordon has the potential to be this next great player. Because he's a premier athletic, he has some skills, and he could be a guy that could put it all together, but he never did it. And I think that that's something that um, a lot of people are looking at and thinking like, hey, he's athletic, you can mold him, but I, I think he's overpaid. I think you have the production. He's probably reached this plateau, especially playing for an organization like the Nuggets, where he's really just you're paying ninety million for a complimentary piece. It's not like you're paying ninety million for a guy that could potentially be the best player on your team. The Nuggets already know that their best player is Nikola Jokic, and their second best player is Jamal Murray. Um, so, yeah, he's definitely overpaid. And then, I mean, if we're really being honest, how many times in Orlando was he considered the best player? 
Like, he may have been the most explosive or the one that may have created highlights, but realistically, I mean, he, Nikola Vucic, was really considered the best player there, too. So this is a lot of money, and I think that he is overpaid. I do agree with you on that. I do also think it kind of just shows the direction that the NBA is going in, where it's like, yeah, you may be a 12.6 points per game guy. You may not necessarily be a leader on a team, but this is just how much money players are getting these days. So he got the bag. I wouldn't do it, but, you know, at least it's not coming out of my pocket. All right, and then let's talk the Clippers, who are getting a new arena. Finally, construction has begun on the new the Clippers' new stadium that is scheduled to cost $1.8 million, and it's going to be in Inglewood, California. Um, as of right now, it is expected to open in during the 2024-2025 season. About time they got out of the Lakers' house, but we got about three years. Could you see the Clippers bringing a championship banner to Staples Center before they move out, or is it not happening? It's not happening. I think you you look at it, they have to compete with the Lakers in their own stadium. Then you look at the East, you have the Brooklyn Nets, who, for the foreseeable future, has the best team on paper. And you also have a lot of other teams that are just really, really good that I feel like could potentially put the net, I mean, put the um, Clippers out. Like you have the Jazz. I think the Jazz could beat them, especially if they didn't realize, like, hey, I understand Rudy Gobert is a good player, but sometimes just take him off the court. Because that's what cost them. In, that's what cost them in series, last series, is they kept Rudy Gobert on the court. Um, so, I don't think they will. Yeah, I don't Yeah, I don't really see it happening either. I think that bringing back Kawhi was definitely a step in the right direction, but realistically, I don't think that Kawhi's really his heart isn't really with the Clippers right now. I just think that right now it's a thing of convenience, especially because he's not going to be able to play till late in the season anyway. And while Paul George has those moments where he steps up, I still think this is, this is a team that's a ways away before that they really are going to be championship contenders despite being in the what? Were the Western Conference Finals? No, they were in the second round. Either way, I just don't think it happens for them. But, I mean – yeah, I don't think it happens. I don't think they bring a championship banner to Staples. But I do think that they're still going to be a competitive team. They're going to be in the playoffs. But in terms of getting much further than that, I don't really think that happens. All right, let's go ahead and play a game of believable or buffoonery. Let's be honest. The media has been getting a lot of flack, with, especially with regards to sports. And Thomas Starnowski said this of the rumors that Zion wants to leave the Pelicans. He said, I have a feeling that some American media want to break up teams and create fake stories so that something's happening. This one wants to leave. Most of the time, the truth is elsewhere. It's not that Zion in his third season is, is thinking about not having good players around him. Believable or buffoonery, the media is to blame for the rumors that Zion wants to leave. Um, no, because we all we all know, like put it in print on um, context. We all watched the last dance um earlier this year, and one of the things that was brought up in the last dance is how the media was affecting the team. But the reality of it is, 
is in order for the media to be able to say these things, they have to hear it from someone on the team. Right. Whether it's from Zion himself, people that are in Zion's um on pools of um resources or whatever. So I definitely think there's some truth behind it. And I mean, being honest, I wouldn't blame Zion. Like he's so I hate to say I was intending on telling you, but I'm really becoming a huge Zion fan. I've been like just watching highlights of his because it's like just to see really what he looks like as a player. But he's one of those unique talents to where if you put him in the right system, I think he can really thrive. You basically could put him in a system similar to Giannis in Milwaukee, and I think that you could have a really good team. But they're not going to do that in New Orleans. They don't. It's, first of all, it's a small market team. Yes, the books are a small market, but I don't think you're going to bring be able to bring people to to New Orleans like um, Milwaukee could to Milwaukee. So I definitely think he's ready to go. Yeah, I think that, like you mentioned, nobody's going to yell fire if they don't see smoke. And I think that with regards to New Orleans, I mean, yeah, you can say it's only his third year. Zion's not thinking about not having good players around him. Yes, he is. Because, I mean, you're seeing your draft counterparts, such as a Ja Morant being able to go to the playoffs or other guys who you feel you're better than, they're making the playoffs. They're getting those big moments, and you're stuck at home in once May comes around or June or whenever the playoffs start. Like, you're not able to really have those moments that your uh, counterparts are having. And that's a frustrating thing. I mean, you mentioned uh, Milwaukee bringing it, being able to bring in uh, free agents because they make the playoffs because they're able to have that success. Whereas in New Orleans, you're, you don't have anything to really sell people on because you haven't really done anything. And so with that being said, no, I don't think it's purely the media saying it. If anything, I think that the media would enjoy more of the story of Zion creating a contender out of New Orleans. Because those stories sell better. Because, of course, then if he was to leave and go elsewhere, it'd be like, oh, well, Zion sold out. Zion did this. Zion took the easy way out. But, no, I'm, I'm calling buffoonery on that. I know the media has, definitely plays a role in things getting bigger than it is, like we saw with, like, Russell Wilson this past offseason. But realistically, no, I don't believe that. All right, let's talk Shy Gilgis Alexander. In a recent interview with uh, uh, GQ Sports, he said, I'm the black Steve Nash. I'm not playing this game to be a good basketball player. I want to be one of the greatest ever to play. So, believable or buffoonery, Shy, I'm not going to say he's officially the black Steve Nash, but he has potential to be. Believable or buffoonery? Um, I think it depends on the context in which he's trying to refer to himself as the black Steve Nash. Like, is he trying to say that he's the greatest black Canadian basketball player in the NBA? If that's the case, I can see because I don't really recall any other Canadians being better than him right now or period for that fact. But if he's talking about play style, I can't agree with that because Steve Nash was one of the best passers in the NBA. Yes, he could score really well, but he was more so known for his passing. Whereas Shy, he's a scorer. Like Shy's all about a bucket. He's not he can pass and he can set guys up, but he's predominantly a better scorer. But if you want to say like he's a black Canadian, he's the best the best black Canadian hooper, 
I agree with you with regards to his play style being very different from Steve Nash. Like, Steve Nash, we know, was the man, was a great player, but his best attribute was his passing, and he could also score, whereas Shy is definitely more of a passer. I mean, more of a scorer who occasionally passes. So, I'm calling buffoonery on that. All right, continuing on the conversation of star guards, let's talk Ja Morant, who, in many comparisons, he's been compared to the likes of a Russell Westbrook or a Derrick Rose, who, coincidentally, both made – their biggest leaps in their third year, such as Russell Westbrook. He got his first all-star nod as a, a third-year player. And then Derrick Rose made all-NBA first team and was named the youngest MVP ever in his third year in the NBA. Believable or buffoonery, John Morant is set for a major breakout in his third season. I think it's believable. And the reason I'm saying this is, well, you obviously know I am a huge Memphis Grizzlies fan. And people don't people don't remember that John Morant just came off arguably one of the best playoff series for a player to reach to make the playoffs in his first year. He was averaging thirty points. He put up forty seven against the Utah Jazz team, a team which many consider to be one of the better defensive teams in the NBA. And I also think given the circumstances around him that are in place for this upcoming season, like we it's looking like we're going to finally have a healthy Jaren Jackson Jr. And if Jaren can play to the potential that he was showing before he got injured, then you're looking at a guy that's a legit seven foot that can shoot that can shoot and handle the ball and make plays also. So who's to say you throw John and Jaren into a pick and roll and a pick and pop? That's a very dangerous scenario, and we already know that Jaws want a great play out of the pick and roll. So I definitely think Jaws going to have a big year three. Yeah, I'm calling believable on that as well, especially because while as a rookie he really showed those flashes of greatness, I think that in his second year he really started to take command of the team and really grew overall in his game as opposed to just being flashy and with the dunks. And I think that as a third-year player, he continues to get comfortable with this team. And who's to say that the Grizzlies are done making moves? I'm sure that more moves are set to take place, particularly if they do decide to um, – Trade a player like us. Oh my gosh. Um, dang, Kyle Kyle Anderson. If they decide to move him and what they could get in return, so their roster is not necessarily a finished product right now, which creates even more opportunities for the growth of John Morant. So yeah, I'm calling believable. This could be a huge year for them, or at the very least, should be his first taste of um, All Star play. But we just talked about a very young team, a very young player. Now we got to talk about some old men, a.k.a. the Los Angeles Lakers. Carmelo Anthony steps foot at um, first take to talk about his team and said this, we old as hell, but we have the most knowledge on this one team than the whole NBA has. So if we can't put that together and make something work, that's on us. Believable or buffoonery. The Lakers' knowledge, it will be what gets them a championship this season. I think it's believable. I mean, this is one of the things that um, is true. A lot of the times for teams to win championships, they are stacked with a lot of veterans. You look at the Milwaukee Bucks this past year. Yes, Giannis is one of the youngest players ever. He to win a 
championship in like 25. Not one of the youngest, but he's on the younger side. He's 25 years old. But you look at that team. That team had um, Drew Holiday, who's a veteran. P.J. Tucker, who's a veteran. Chris Middleton, who's a who's he's somewhere middle in the pack. Like once the Bucks added veteran pieces, also Brook Lopez, who's a veteran. Once they added those veteran pieces, that's when they finally got over the hump. And with this Lakers team, you yes, they are older, like supremely older than a lot of the teams in the NBA right now. But look at the pieces that they're adding. They added Carmelo Anthony, who is one of the greatest scorers in the history of the NBA. They added Russell Westbrook, who was a former MVP and one of the more explosive players ever in the game of basketball from a point guard standpoint. You have LeBron, who has been considered the best player or one of the best players throughout the whole course of his career. You add in Dwight, you bring back Dwight Howard, who at one point was the best center and a former stalwart defensive player of the year. Like, the guys that you're adding, they all have a slew of knowledge. They all have a slew of experiences. And then, not to mention, you add in, I think, a guy like Trevor Ariza, who has played on championship teams with Kobe. Like, so I think that knowledge that they've amassed, this definitely going to help them win because it's like, when you put them in a playoff scenario, everybody on their team is literally seeing every type of scenario when it comes down to playing the game of basketball. They won't be rattled. They won't be shaken. They probably will have the best mental toughness out of every team in the NBA simply because everybody on their team is going through everything that you could possibly go to. Go through. I agree with you in terms of, like, the mental aspect of it. I do think that, like you said, I mean, because they've seen everything, they won't necessarily be rattled. They'll be able to handle whatever comes what may. But then it always comes down to the question of execution. It comes down to the questions of fit, scheme. While they are older and they do have the knowledge that is going to help them against younger teams, what the NBA has become today is pretty much like everybody can shoot threes. Everybody can shoot from long range. Very little defense is being played these days. And while in terms of knowledge, I would agree they have the most knowledge amassed on one team. But in terms of players whose styles forget I mean, make up today's NBA, I think that that would be something that would lead them to fall short more so than anything to do with their experience. But continuing on with the Lakers, Brandon Jenkins, I mean, Jennings has some interesting comments. He said, if Russell Westbrook wins a ring, somebody in that top five all-time point guard list gotta go. Believable or buffoonery? Russ gets a ring this year. Is he a top five point guard? Um, The question would be who who would you take off their list? Yeah, you got a point there. And the thing is, nobody's point guard list is ever going to be, like, the same. But in your opinion, would you consider Russ a top five point guard with the ring? I think, uh, if I were, I think I would. If, I hate to say this, but I would take off John Stockton if Russ won a ring. Simply because, like, statistically, some of the things that John Stockton has done, I feel like no player will ever do. Like, no player, I think no player might would never, ever break his career record for assists in the NBA. No player will break his steals record. But if you add, if you throw Russell Westbrook, who has a, with that ring, who 
arguably broke probably the one record that a lot of people for sure thought would never be broken on multiple occasions, which is the triple double triple double record. I think you have to put him into the category of top five point guards. Yeah, I think that it would definitely strengthen his argument just because, I mean, we know he's tenacious. We know that he goes for – gives his all for every game. He may not be the most efficient player on the court, but, I mean, you can never say he didn't try. And, I mean, in my opinion – I mean, I've said it before and I'll say it again. Russ is my favorite player in the league. And I think that a ring – like, we kind of talked about it, about what a ring would do for Aaron Rodgers. It may not – do too too much but for Russ I think it's everything because really the one thing he hasn't done he's won MVP multi-time all-star made the playoffs I want to say every year since he's been in the NBA but he doesn't have a ring and I think that if he gets that ring I think it'll be very hard to discount him with regards to the other top point guards in this league just because he does things that we do not see other players at his position do all right, let's talk another point guard who has a knack for doing things others can't. Kyrie Irving, who it was said that um, by Nick Wright, who apparently had spoken to some sources, said there are a handful of Kyrie trades that potentially make sense for the Nets. Kyrie's agents have made it known that Kyrie would simply retire from the NBA if Brooklyn were to trade him. In response to that, Kyrie Irving called him a puppet, to which Nick Wright said, Kyrie, if you're saying you didn't say you'd retire if you were traded, then your beef is with your agents. So, believable or buffoonery, if the Nets traded Kyrie, he would retire. Buffoonery. I think, you know, it's hard to say yes to something like that simply because we don't know you know, Kyrie's inner circle. And also, being honest, like, if Kyrie were to get traded, he'd still make millions of dollars. And, yes, we know that Kyrie marches to the beat of his own drum, but as a man that's made millions of dollars, I'm pretty sure you would want to play basketball. I'm pretty sure you would want to kind of keep that for as long as you possibly can. So, I don't know. I don't know. I think it will depend where he got traded to. I feel like if he got traded to a team like the Orlando Magic, who just really have no direction, I could see him retiring. I could see him calling it quits because it's like he has his ring. He has nothing else to really prove. He's shown that he's been that guy. And it's clear, like, he's one of those guys you can tell do not need basketball. Like, he has other stuff going on. He has his mind on other things. And so, with that being said, he could potentially try other avenues. So, I think, like I said, I just think it depends where he were to get traded to. Like I said, like, none of us are close enough to Kyrie to be able to be like, hey, so what you going to do? Or, like, know him enough to say what we know he would do. But I, I think that it would just depend on the situation. Because if you're a player who's already established, you're one of the top players at your position, you don't want to feel like you're getting traded somewhere that has no direction, where you pretty much are just going all the way back to the bottom. And especially for a player like Kyrie who has had some injury concerns, why put your body through that for a team that's not going to win? So I think it really just depends on where he would go. All right, last piece before we close out this bad boy. We're going to talk Carmelo Anthony again, who via um, an interview with Complex called out the loyalty in sports and said, I don't feel like there's loyalty in sports. Sports is just sports. It's a business. You're an athlete. That's your profession. You get paid to do that. No one has to be loyal to you. 
Believable or buffoonery? Loyalty in sports is dead. Believable. I mean, I think the years of having guys play on um, teams or for franchises for 10 plus years, I think that's over. I think you might have a couple instances where you do see guys that continue to do it, like Daniel CJ do it in Portland, but I think ultimately, just given the fact that players are now more inclined to say, like, hey, stuff is going on here that isn't the way that I like it, I'm out. You look at it. You had LeBron. He was like, Cleveland, you aren't getting me what I need to win a championship here in Cleveland. Well, I'm going to Miami. Then he went back to Cleveland. Then he went back to um, then he went to the Lakers. And then you look at situations like only a couple years ago, like DeMar DeRozan. DeMar DeRozan said that he wanted to be a, a Raptor for life. And yes, they got a, the Raptors got a championship out of it, but they traded him with no hesitation to get Kawhi Leonard. Mm-hmm. I think that the whole perception of loyalty in sports is definitely dead. Yeah, I think so too. Or at the very least, it's definitely gone in basketball. I think that uh, Jeannie Buss mentioned that the days of a player staying with an organization for over 20 years are gone. And I think that's okay. I think that because organizations don't necessarily have that loyalty to you because it's more so about who's making me the most money, who's going to help me keep my job. And like you mentioned, the perfect example with um, DeMar DeRozan, he said literally shortly before he ended up getting traded that he wanted to be a Raptor for life. And he had an amazing career there. But once you get the option to get a championship caliber player, they jump ship. And unfortunately, it's hard to say that they made the wrong decision because they got a ring out of it. And then for another prime example is with um, Isaiah Thomas and the in the Celtics. He played a game and had a great game following the death of his sister. He gave his heart to the Celtics just to be traded that next year. So with regards to loyalty, I think I think that it's it's definitely gone. And so now for t- players, particularly at least for me, particularly for players, if they want to pimp a team for as much money as they can get and they move on, I don't blame them. Because it's not the team's going to be loyal to you. They can say all they want to, oh, we want to keep you, blah, blah, blah. But if they feel like they can do something better, they're going to move on. So, yeah, loyalty in sports, I would agree, is definitely dead. But that is our show. Thank you guys so much for listening. As always, please be sure to check out theXReport.net. I repeat, theXReport.net. For exclusive sports content written by yours truly and fellow X Report writers. Previous episodes of our lovely podcast and our YouTube channel entitled The X Report. Ethan, you got anything else you want to say before we close this bad boy out? Go Tigers, go. Uh, go Tigers, tighten up. Let's get some W's, man. I'm tired of I hate losing. I feel that. Yeah, same for me. Go Tigers. And also, go Tigers, go. Ravens, if you win, that'd be awesome. If And if we going to lose, can at least be one that's not a blowout? That would, that would I'd take that too. And, um, yeah, football season is here. It's a beautiful time of year. Now I just need the weather to uh, catch up to it because I'm ready to wear hoodies every day. But thank you guys so much for listening, and we will see you all next time.